0: I just want to say thank you to Pastor John and Pastor Brenda for allowing me to stand in the pulpit this morning to bring you the word. Um, It's an honor and a privilege. Um, And it is always good to have good people, especially when you can step away and and not have a worry in the world to make sure church is still going. And so um, also give give all your staff and volunteers a hand clap here at the Cowboy Church because we're still having church this morning. Amen. Y'all give your volunteers a hand clap. All right, I think we're good to go. Let's go live. All right, so uh, I guess a little bit of background. If you never met me, I am a youth pastor in Mount Bellevue, Texas. Me and my wife have been pastoring our youth for the last five and a half years. I've been an ordained minister uh, since 2014, so next year we'll make it uh, 10 years, and I still question God every single day. Lord, are you sure you want me? Um, but this morning, I want you to turn... Uh, in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. So I do have a title, um, only because they asked me what my title was this morning, but are you new? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, are you new? Are you new? All right. So we're going to start out in Romans chapter 12. We'll jump around a few places, but we're going to stick in Romans for the most part. Romans chapter 12, verse number one, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I want to ask you this morning, when's the last time you offered your life as a living sacrifice? And here's what I mean. When's the last time your mind has been holy and presentable to the Lord? When's the last time you bridled your tongue? All right? That'll preach for sure. When was the last time you turned off the filth of TV and prioritized God and His Word? You see, after all, what the Bible says, it's our, our reasonable ser- service. So, when was the last time your life was acceptable to God and not your idea? of what you think God deems acceptable. You see, that's where we fall short a lot of times is, is we try to put God to fit our idea of what he deems acceptable. And a lot of times we try to shift the word, we try to, to cherry pick, if you will, within the scripture to fit our idea of what God deems acceptable, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit do something new and to transform us into a new creation to fit what the word says and what God deems is acceptable. And verse number two, it says, and do not be conformed. Everybody say conformed. Well, if you do not know what conformed is, you're welcome. I did my homework. Conformed means to comply with rules, standards, or laws. Behave accordingly to socially acceptable conventions or standards. Right, so let's let's think about this. It says, do not be conformed to this world. So what does this world deem socially acceptable? We live in a world right now where homosexuality is socially acceptable. We live in a world where pedophiles can change their name to now minor attractive people and they're pushing their agenda to, to make that socially acceptable. We live in a world where men are trying to retire in women's athletic sports because they weren't good enough to 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 go with the men's group or whatever you write up, right? This world is ever-changing. The culture is ever-shifting. And what the Bible is telling us right here, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm in church. My mind's not like that. But a lot of times, we don't have to be way out in the left field to be conformed to the world. Right. We think we can have one foot in the gospel and one foot in the world and still live a holy lifestyle. But that's not what righteousness is. That's not what holiness is. That's not what God deems acceptable. Right. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and and, and expect to further the kingdom of God. The Bible actually tells us that if you're a friend to the world, you're an enemy to God. You see, you got to be separated. And this is where I want to get at today, this morning. And I know. That all of you are church-going people, like I said, I see a lot of old, familiar faces. But have you truly understood what repentance is all about? Because I preach this message in our church, and, and this is what the Lord laid on my heart. It doesn't matter if you've been going to church for five minutes. It doesn't matter if it's your first time here. It doesn't matter if you've been going to church for 30 years. Is that we have cultivated a gospel and we boiled it down to where it feels like it's just a five minute thing. You go up to the altar, you proclaim the gospel and you say these prayers and you go throughout your life thinking you're saved. But that's not what repentance is truly all about. That's not what God went to the cross for. It's not just a five minute thing, but it is an everyday choice. It's a lifestyle. The Bible says we got to sacrifice our flesh Daily, meaning that every single day you have to choose the gospel. You have to be transformed. And that's what leads us into this next part. It says, but be transformed. Everybody say "Transform." But be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. All right. I'm glad all of you are awake this morning. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Why do you have to prove it? Or how do you prove it? You don't prove it just by words alone, right? What is is our favorite saying? Actions speak louder than words, right? Right? The Bible even tells us not to be a hearer of the word, but a doer. So in order for you to prove it, you actually got to do something. I see a bunch of cowboy boots in here today. I'm glad you wore your boots. We're stepping on toes this morning. But it says... To be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Everybody say prove. Proof. That you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, I want to break down this word transformed. I love it. All right. So, the actual dictionary um, description of "transform" it is a thorough or a dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. That's a pretty good description. The Greek word for transform is actually called metamorpho, okay? What this means, it means transformed or transfigured by a supernatural change. So what this, is, this is what the gospel is teaching us. It's saying, look, you're not to be conformed to this world, but supernaturally be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meaning that it's not going to come by anything natural, it is going to come by the word of God. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit living and dwelling and you following the Holy Spirit every single day. And the only thing that can transform your mind is the word of God. Right. What does John 8 teach us? It's by the truth and the truth shall set you free. Well, where do you find the truth? In the word. Right. And so the only way that you are going to renew your mind, because here's the deal. Here's what I teach my teenagers all the time. Your idea or your perspective of life was taught to you by somebody the same age. Right? All right, let's think about it. Let's let's throw out some, some examples, right? We've all been in high school, middle school, that kind of stuff. And I know it's about to get weird in here. This is church. You don't say the sex word. But... Your understanding of what sex was was taught by a fourth grader, a fifth grader, a magazine, a TV program, your weird uncle, whatever it may have been, all right? But that is your understanding of what sex is. And the world is teaching that, you know, sex, the hookup culture, it doesn't mean nothing. But here's the deal. Biblically, by the Bible, what the Word of God says, do you know what actually brings in a holy matrimony? It's not a legal document. It's not a preacher saying to tell you to say I do, but it's a consummation of the marriage. It's sex, meaning that they're being preached and taught a perverted version of what God intended to be a holy matrimonial thing, right? The Bible says the two will become one. That's the marriage matrimony. And then we got a whole world married of 25, 50, whatever, and then we got a world screwed up and wondering why we can't connect with our husband and we can't connect with our wife and why we can't connect in the family when everything that the, everything that the devil has created and perverted was back up a little bit. He doesn't create, but he perverts what's already been created. But everything that he has perverted has meant to destroy you and your family. And so that's why we constantly have to renew our mind, Right? We go throughout life, and, and especially for men, you know, men, you, you fall down, you stumble, you struggle. What do, we tell, what, do we, what do we tell the men? Well, get tougher. You'll be all right. Throw some dirt on it, rub it out, keep rolling. Rather than renewing our mind and figuring out what the Word says. You see, this is why it is always important to run back to the Word, to get involved, to get plugged in, and to renew our mind daily. You see, this is the difference. Everybody has knowledge of the word, right? Atheists know the word. Lucifer quoted scripture. He misquoted, but he quoted scripture in the desert to Jesus. The devil knows the word. The demons know the word, but it is a difference of knowing the word and having the wisdom to apply the word. You see, this is where this supernatural transformation, and all too often this is where the church is, is that we have a knowledge of who God is. We may even have an understanding of who God is, but we'd rather have someone else apply it for us. We'd rather let Pastor John preach a good word, let us feel good and go home and go about our merry way rather than putting on the full armor of God and going forth as a blood-bought Christian, fighting for yourself, fighting for your family, fighting for your coworkers, fighting for the school system and fighting for this nation, fighting for this town, whatever it may be for, or whatever your calling or your anointing may be. But we'd rather sit in the pew. We'd rather conform to this world. We'd rather go out drinking. We'd rather go all this. And I tell my children this all the time. I tell my teenagers this, is that, if drinking was a means to an end, you'd only have to drink it once. If drugs was a means to an end, you'd only have to do it once. But the only place you will, try, you will find true and absolute freedom is in the word of God, but it is gonna come at a cost of you renewing your mind. And here's where I wanna get at. You see, transformation is gonna take a supernatural renewal of your mind. In order to be transformed, it's only when the Holy Spirit renews, reeducates, and redirects our mind are we truly transformed. There has to be a renewing, there has to be a reeducation, and a redirect in our life. Right? Okay. Let's think about it. The Bible tells us that we once were lost, but now we're we once were blind, but now we. You see, it's a complete transformation. You were once going this way. You once looked like the world, but God came in. There was a supernatural anointing that took place. You were covered by the blood of Jesus. You were once lost, but now you've been found. You were once blind. Now you see, and you were once an old, beaten, broken, bruised up person. But now by the blood of Jesus, you were made new and washed as white as snow. And the Bible tells us that we are a new creation. You see, there has to be a supernatural thing, but you got to be truly transformed, meaning that you are going to have to separate on some things in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. He's going to begin to convict. Maybe you shouldn't go to that place. Maybe you shouldn't hang out with those people. Maybe you shouldn't drink that drink. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe you shouldn't do that. But it will be our choice to walk the walk. God's going to present it. God's going to show you that you're going to have that knowing here. Listen, I don't care what kind of backstory you got. I promise you anytime I've ever sinned, I knew that it was sin. I knew it. And I guarantee you know it as well. You know what needs to be transformed. You know what needs to be separated from your life. But all too often we'd rather conform to the world and look like the world, but walk into church and praise Jesus. You see, it has to be a supernatural transformation, and I love how it says to be transformed or transfigured. That word transfigured, it means to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. So when God comes in and he's imparted into your life, he has taken that something which was already created and you've already been beautiful. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully created. But in your creation, he has taken you. And now with the blood of Jesus Christ, with salvation, with a complete transformation, he says that you are even more beautiful. That's pretty gnarly. I love it. But, everybody say but. We have to prove it. You see, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may Prove. It's not pastor proven for you. It's not mom and dad proven for you. It's not that just by going to church proves it, but it is your lifestyle. It is every single day. It's in your morality. It's in your character. It's what you watch, what you listen to. It is in every aspect of your life so that you may prove what is good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. You see, that's the beauty of it. God's going to take every broken piece in you. He's going to take the rundown and beaten and broken feeling that you've been through. He's going to replace and repair every worn-out thing in your life, mentally, emotionally and physically, and he's going to create something new and beautiful. But here's where it gets good. It will not happen spontaneously. It's not a wishing well. It's not a genie in the sky. It's not some sky daddy you call to or whatever. Whatever you want to call it. Here's what I mean. Y'all ready? Here's where I start preaching. Prayer will not cancel ignorance. Don't stone me yet. I'll preach on that. Prayer will not cancel ignorance. Ignorance. You see, prayer is your communication between you and God, but somehow it has become more like your phone call to bail you out of jail. The only time you communicate is when you need something from the Father. And here's the deal, and here's what I mean, is that a lot of times we'll run to God and it'll be a conditional thing. God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise you I'll read the word, I'll show up, I'll actually sing, maybe I'll actually clap. But God, if you do these things and what you do is you run to the Father and you begin to pray, God, get me out of this thing. But prayer alone does not cancel ignorance. Let me show you something. Romans 8.26 says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There will be moments in your life you do not know what to pray for. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. There are going to be moments where you have no idea what to pray for, how to pray for it, how to pray for your children, how to pray for things that arise in the body of Christ or in this nation or what have you. But that is where the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you, he begins to move for you. But here's the deal. Same thing. Prayer in itself will not cancel ignorance. I'm going to hit this home. And I, I promise you, you're going to agree with me. Don't throw stones at me yet. You see, some of y'all treat the Holy Spirit like he's the life alert button. Y'all know the life alert commercials? Like that. Help, I'm falling and I can't get up. Right? He's there in his weakness. He's there in our weakness. But just like that, right? Listen, sometimes you got to learn that you can't do some of the things that you used to do. Right? You can't go to the party scene anymore. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. All right, you come in, you get saved, salvation. God begins to dwell on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit begins to move, convict, and show you these things, but bad company corrupts good morals. I ask my teenagers, I say, ask me how I know. Y'all ask me how I know. Thank you. Number one, your vocabulary is probably different in the workforce than it is in church. Number two, What you do, what you say, and what you watch would probably embarrass you if Pastor John was sitting beside you. Right? That's physical. Bible says God will never leave us nor forsake us. God's with you every single day. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's easy to see your vocabulary shift. Maybe you meet buddies from high school, whatever. You you got a circle of friends, and y'all just wilding out every time y'all get together. Or maybe, maybe you go to the haircut, the barbershop, you begin, because you're in that environment, you begin to gossip. Whatever it may be, whatever your story writes up, bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so a friend will sharpen a friend. It doesn't say a good friend will sharpen a good friend, but it says a friend will sharpen a friend. Have you ever seen a rusty dull blade, or or, or, or let's, let's reverse it, a good knife, a good blade, And then you store it with a rusty blade. What happens? The rust will jump over. Now, it doesn't completely get rusted, but little spots will begin to show up here and there. And see, that's how the devil works. The Bible says that he sets traps to ensnare us. At the moment, we may think that we still have freedom. Listen, big old redneck from Southeast Texas. I love to hunt, fish, do everything. You can find me in the woods, all right? And here's the deal. Set coyote traps with four snares, the whole nine. And what happens is is his foot gets caught, and then it's on it. It's not necessarily a leash, but it has a certain amount of yardage that that coyote can go after it's been caught. And here's where you are in your life spiritually, is you've stepped into that trap, you've accepted your sin, you feel your sin, you do not allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move and convict, but what you do is you think you still have freedom because you still have a little bit of space to move, but what you don't realize is you are still anchored to that sin. You see, there has to be a complete transformation in your life. You have to be Made new. Everybody turn to your neighbor, say, are you new? You see, all too often, you see, the Holy Spirit's here to help us and guide us. But to keep drinking and to keep going out to the bars is complete foolishness. You can't keep the same circle of influence and inspect to further your walk with God. There has to be a dramatic change. There has to be a supernatural change in your life, whether that's change how you talk, how you react, change what you drink, change how you prioritize. Some of you need to change your habits. Here's what I tell my my teenagers all the time. Real simple, I want you to catch this this revelation. It may be hard for you to understand. You ready? This is revelation knowledge. I'm telling you, Holy Spirit divine. You ready? Change happens when change happens. (laughs) Right? Change happens when change happens. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over, expecting a different outcome, but always getting the same results. So, unless there is change in your life, you're just living a definition of insanity. Another one of my favorite sayings only dead fish go with the flow. If you find yourself going with the flow of life and of the culture, whatever it may be, then you may be spiritually dead. And then things are going to start stinking in your life. Only dead fish go with the flow. Everybody telling to your neighbors, that's a good one. But change only happens when there's change. Otherwise, you live a life of insanity. Proverbs 26, 11 tells us like this. Like a dog returning to its vomit, a fool repeats his folly. That's nasty. That's gnarly too, though. But like a dog returning to its vomit, a fool will repeat his folly. See, Proverbs 15, 14 says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Let's put it in everyday terms. A wise man seeks knowledge, but a fool feeds on foolishness. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a fool. So back to what I was saying, prayer will not cancel ignorance. I love what a preacher by the name Paul Washer said. He says it like this. So many people in this country believe that their lives to be changed and born again because we've so reduced the gospel of Jesus Christ that it means now nothing more than a simple decision that will only take five minutes of your time. You see, this is foolishness. It takes a lifetime, a constant commitment and work. This is what Paul continues to say. He says, the question is not do you know if you're a sinner? The question is this, since you have sat under the preaching of the gospel, has God so worked in your heart that sin you once loved, now you hate? He continues to say, he says, has God done such a supernatural work in your heart that the God you once hated, despised, and ignored, you now desire and esteem worthy above all things? That's being transformed. That is the renewing of the mind. That is being separated. You see, we've watered down the gospel, and here's the deal. This is transformation. This is what true repentance is. This is the evidence of salvation. The Bible says we can judge judge each other by our fruit. What are you bearing? What are you producing? Here's the thing. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? Even good fruit can get mold on it. Who you surround yourself with plays a vital role in your life, no matter at what stage in your life you're in. Who you surround yourself plays a vital role. Bad company corrupts good morals. Iron sharpens iron, so a friend will sharpen a friend. What kind of iron are you sharpening yourself with? You see, here's the deal. God is not an accessory that you throw on on Sundays and Wednesdays, but he is the priority that you choose every single day. It's not an accessory you throw on when you need it and when you need to look good. But he is a priority in the good times, in the hard times, in the bad times, and in any time and every time of every single day. He's a priority. Things have to begin to shift in your life to fit what the gospel says. Turn with me to John, or 1 John chapter 1. If you have a hard time finding it, find 2 John. It's the one before that. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5 through 10. I'll give you a little moment. All right, your moment's up. <laughs> 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5. It says this. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light. Everybody say God's light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not what? Practice. Why would you have to practice? Because you have something to prove. Right? When you practice something, practice sports, practice this, practice that, you practice to get better. But, everybody say but. But. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So does your life, does your fruit match what your mouth says? Because here's the deal. You can fool me. You can fool Pastor John. You can fool your wife. You can fool your your significant other. You can fool anybody. But you cannot fool God. He does not judge on our standards of what we may judge from. It's not by our actions, it's not by our words, but he judges us by our hearts and he judges us by our fruit in which we bear. So what are you planting? Because you reap what you sow. When's the last time, here's the deal, right? How, how many of y'all have felt belittled Recently? Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe, maybe you felt um, anger or depression or anxiety, and which that you might not show those things, but you've allowed those things to take root in your field, in your heart, in your mind. And because of that, those things will begin to grow. Here's how easy God made it, right? God says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you'll be a believer. Right. Made it super easy. All you have to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Let's see how easy Satan made it as well. Let's flip it over. Let's pervert it. Now, if you believe in your heart that you're not good, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you'll never make it. You will never aspire to be what you think. And then you begin to confess it. Well, now I'm going to have a terrible day. Now my car sucks, my house sucks, my wife sucks, this sucks, that sucks, everything sucks. Now you begin to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Bible says you have power of life and death in the tongue. Yeah. This is why it is so important in your life to be renewed and transformed. Listen, the devil comes to pervert, it comes to rob, to kill, and destroy, right? Yeah. This is why it is so important that you have to renew your mind. It is so easy to wake up and see the bill stacked up, see family members in discord, to see strife, whatever it may be. And even on that note, the Bible says where there's strife, there's every evil thing. But through the power of Jesus Christ, through the blood of the lamb, through the promise of everything that he's promised us in the Bible. Bible says He has power of life in the, life and death in the tongue. What are you speaking? What are you sowing? What are you planting? Because you will reap those things. And here's the deal, right? A lot of times, here's where we get caught up in life. We hear about the Bible, we hear about sin, we hear about these things and how it brings death to our life, whether that's spiritually or whether that's even physically. But when you plant something, does it grow the next day? Is there anybody in here with a green thumb? Listen, I got a red thumb and a brown thumb. Everything dies. I can't grow nothing to save my life. But you don't plant the seed and then go back the next day, move the dirt around and say, okay, is it grown yet? Nope, okay, fold it back over, the water it again. You don't go back the next day and move it out the way. Okay, are we growing yet? Nope, okay, go. Right? If you keep doing that, if you keep moving it out the way, is it going to grow? Absolutely not. See, this is where faith comes in. Right? Faith is what? The things hoped for with the evidence of things to come. This is why you have to have faith. If God was to answer it right away, would you need faith? Would you need God? Absolutely not. You'd have a genie. This is where your faith comes in. This is where your relationship, this is where you practice these things. This is where you begin to prove these things. It's through your faith and obedience and who God's called you to be. To be separated. Right? Right? But it says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Look, y'all can go home and play with matches, all right? This is cool. Have you ever noticed, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't seen it, but if you take a flame, a match, you light it, you hold it up against a wall, and you put a flashlight on it. My hand will cast a shadow, the match stick will cast a shadow, but the flame itself will not have a shadow. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, go do it. You got homework, go do it. Really cool. I've burned like 500 matches just watching. It's like, oh, man, it's cool. But in him, there is no darkness. When you have light in God's word, when there is a light shining on the inside of you, these things will be brought to your your, um, recognition, things that you need to be separated from. You can't coexist. There is not coexisting between the world and God. It's one or the other. The Bible even tells us this way in Revelation. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, he says that he'll spit you out of his mouth. When he spits you out of his mouth, you're no longer in the presence of God. You're no longer in the glory of God. You're no longer under the hedge of protection of God, and you're no longer walking in the promises of God. You're out completely out of the presence of God. You see, you can't coexist. You see, light represents what is good, pure, true, holy, and reliable. Darkness obviously represents sinful, sinfulness and evil. You see, the statement that God is light means that God is perfectly holy and true and that he alone can guide us out of the darkness of sin. You see, light is also related to truth in the light that exposes whatever exists, whether it be good or bad. You see, in the dark, in sin, good and evil look alike. In the light, they can be clearly distinguished. If we want a relationship with God, we have to put to death our sinful ways of living. To claim that we belong to Him, but we go out and live for ourselves, is the utmost hypocrisy. To walk in darkness is to persist in sin. Y'all, write this down. We can't love God and date the world. You can't love God and date your sin. Right? How many of y'all probably, you probably wouldn't even have life right now, but let's think about it this way. All right? You want to throw culture in it? Listen, we're still good. Pastor John said I can go tell one. I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. How many of y'all are married in here? Do y'all have an open relationship? Heck no. Some of y'all would lose your life, right? Listen, I love my wife, but she's ghetto. All right, listen, she probably stabbed me. I love my wife, but she is hood, okay? She came from the hood. She came from the bad side of town, but we love her. God's doing a new thing. I'll bring her one day, and you'll meet her. like, there's no way. She's an angel, but I promise you, Trey can tell you, she got some hood in her, okay? Look, if you want evidence of God... It's my wife. Number two, evidence of God is that I can marry someone as beautiful as her. There is a God. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Look, there went the Holy Spirit. I forgot what we were even talking about. Ah, oh, open relationship, right? Look, nobody has an open relationship and has success in their life, in their marriage. Listen, there's every evil thing in that. You open the door to all these things. That is the same way with your relationship with God. Stop having an open relationship to the world. You can't come in and say, God, I love you, then go back out and completely go against everything he's ever stood for. That's not love. That's an idea. That's an infatuation with the idea of God and the idea of who God is and the idea of salvation. But to have a true transformation in your life is a complete separation. This is why it is important for you to be made new. So we can't love God and date sin at the same time. Verse number seven goes on and says, but, everybody say but. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. From how much sin? From how much? From how much? From all sin. You've got to have fellowship with them. When you have fellowship with your wife or with your spouse, You get to know them, right? You didn't just walk up being like, hey, girl, you're beautiful. Let's get married. Didn't work that way, right? Listen, some of us, look, especially me, I had to fight. Look, my wife turned me down the first time I introduced myself. I was like, she don't know what she's missing. And evidently she came, you know, Holy Spirit divine moment, she came to realize that she couldn't live without me. And I can say these things because she's not here. Okay. But you didn't just walk up and say, hey, you're, you're cute, you're beautiful, whatever it may be, and then, bam, you got married. But you had to put in effort. You got to know their likes, their dislikes, their pet peeves, their wants, their desires, their goals. Right? You began to learn all these things. And it's not that you changed for that person. It is that you began to love that person. You allowed allowed your life ultimately to change. You changed some things up. You don't go, you know, hanging out with the boys all the time. You you don't do these things, but you begin to prioritize her. You begin to prioritize her wants, her desires. You begin to prioritize your spouse because you love them. Why should it be any different than when we come into relationship with with the father? We expect him to change everything to fit our needs, our wants, our desires rather than us falling so deeply in love with the gospel and him sending his son to die on a cross for us that we begin to shift and change our desires, our wants to fit his wants, his desires, his needs, right? When's the last time you prayed, God, give me eyes to see the way you see and give me ears to hear what you hear? Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the Lord is returning soon. Right. I'm 30 years old and all my life been in and out of church or not even been in and out of church. I always tell people my dad used to say it, but I, I'm, I'm a product of that. Uh, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. Um, I was drugged to church. <laughs> we didn't have that option. All right. Parts of being a PK. We love it. So my drug problem is he drugged me to church every time. And I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, for 30 years of my life, I've heard. The Lord's coming. The rapture's happened. But it is even more evident now. It is even more important now. We see prophecies being fulfilled, right? The Euphrates River drying up. No one would have ever thought that. The Euphrates River is drying up, right? And even in Revelation, it talks about the Euphrates River drying up, and it talks about a a two-million-man army who possesses that kind of army. It's not one nation. But when you add China and when you add Russia together, just like that they're talking to, they combine over a two million man army to walk across the Euphrates River. Listen, prophecy is happening. God is real. Listen, God's returning. And I thank God every single day that he loves each and every one of us enough that he is still tearing. He's still waiting for you to get on board. But time's running out. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep living in the same lifestyle, or are you going to begin to allow the light move on the inside of you, to begin to, to, to show you the things that you need to bring out of your life? You see, to walk in the light is to live consistent with God's commandments and character. Verse number eight, it says, "If we say that we have no sin, who do we deceive? Who do we deceive? Listen, you don't need to deceive me. I believe you. You tell me I believe you're a blood-bought child of God. I believe you. I'm not the one you got to prove to. Number one, you got to prove it to yourself. And the other part is you got to prove it to God. Not me, not Pastor John, not your spouse. You got to do it for yourself. It says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, it's one thing to have knowledge of the word, but it's a completely different ball game when you have the wisdom to apply it. So, can you walk the walk? Cuz there's everybody in the world talking the talk. Right? Social media, everybody has something in their bio, they got a scripture. You got people with tattoos on their arm and living like hell. Oh, I love Jesus and well, what is, your, what is your fruit producing? What, do you, what are you producing? What, is, what, what, are you, what are you planting? See, do your actions match your mouth? See, all too often we claim we're good with the Lord, but we're the furthest thing from good. If there's no truth, there's no freedom. The Bible tells us to know the truth, and know the truth requires transformation. And where there is transformation, it requires repentance. Repentance. That's one of the hardest things to do. Verse number nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in verse number 10 goes on and says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, here's the deal. Confessing our sin does not mean a shallow reciting of misdeeds. It means owning up to the wrongdoing and bringing our lives in line with God's goodness and commands. Here's the deal. We have a perfect example and a perfect picture of God as our Savior, right? Every church has a cross. We know the Savior part. But we fail to remember he is Lord. When he is Lord, he has authority. When he has authority, we follow suit, right? Right? Right, we we forget about the Lord, the Lord aspect of things. It's not just Savior, but it is Lord. What He says goes. And in verse number ten, you see, if His words not in us, the saving message of Christ is not taking root. There may be surface knowledge of Christian religion, but the heart has not been transformed. It takes humility and honesty to recognize our weakness. And most of us rather just pretend we're strong than coming humbly before the Father and saying, I'm weak or there's a sin in my life. Repentance requires true brokenness. Repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness with the intent to sin again. I love this saying, trying is having the intentions to fail, right? Right? I'll try to do this, but you already have the intention to fail. Bible says power of life and death is in the tongue. So you are already presenting yourself an opportunity to fail. Not try. God didn't say, I don't want you just to be hearers of the word and triers of the word, but to be doers. Do it. Choose it every single day. And that's not going to say that the Bible says that we fall short. We fall short of the kingdom every single day. But it is not in, or, or here's, let's back it up. I get excited. My tongue, my mind goes faster than my tongue. But it's not in those moments where we fall that defines us. It's how we get up and we go forward. Right? We can either sit and sulk and we can go the other way or we can come to the Father, come humbly and say, look, God, I have fallen, I have fallen short. This is where I've fallen short. God, take me, cleanse me, show me where I need to change. And your choice in going forward determines everything. We can sit and sulk or we can walk in freedom. It's your choice. You see, repentance leads us to cultivate Godliness while eradicating habits that lead into sin. You see, that word cultivate means to apply oneself to improving or developing one's mind or manners. So repentance leads us to improve godliness while eradicating habits that lead into sin. Last place I'm gonna ask you to turn. Turn with me to Romans chapter eight, verse number one. This is like part four of my closings. Our part one, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4. Like I said, we got plenty of time to be out. I'm just kidding. Romans chapter eight, verse number one, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk. Everybody say walk. I want you to highlight that word. I want you to write it down, whatever it may be. Who walks? Who's he talking about? You. How do you walk? Well, by putting one foot in front of the other. Right? Every single one of you are sitting right now, and you're comfortable sitting. Sometimes, especially God love it, I'm waiting for the Lord to turn on the AC outside, but it is hard to walk, right? Especially outside in this heat. Listen, listen, You need to exercise spiritually, but also physically. Listen, I love food. I am what I eat. I know I look like a cheeseburger. But at the same time, there is effort that has to be put in on your part. Look, some of y'all are still giggling about the cheeseburger. Listen, I know. I love food. You are what you eat, but you are what you eat spiritually as well. Right? Listen, I've never found a depressed person listen to depressing music get happier. You are what you eat. Right. So you got to change some habits. You got to change some things. You have to separate your some uh, separate some things in your life. But it says there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. See, here's the thing. We can't have an open relationship with the Lord and expect to get into heaven. There has to be an actual separation. You see, the Spirit will tell you what you need to separate yourself from. The question is, are you willing to listen and are you willing to follow through? I want you to jump down to verse number five. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. What is it? What is it? Listen, that's God's words, not my words. but to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and... and what else? And what else? Peace. Did you know the Bible says God gives you the peace that surpasses all understanding. So number one, when you walk in the spirit, you gain life. And not only do you gain life, you gain peace. Meaning that no matter what situation arises, no matter how big the storm may be, no matter what kind of giant you are facing, you will have life and you will have peace. How many of y'all need some peace in your life? Are you ready? How many of y'all want some peace in your life? Well, then does your actions match your mouth? Does your life line up with the word of God? Because you are what you eat. And I eat a lot of cheeseburgers. Okay, listen, we've already covered that. See, listen, in verse number five and six, Paul divides people into two categories. Everybody say two categories. There are those who are dominated by their flesh and their sinful nature. And then there are those who are guided by the Holy Spirit. We must choose Jesus every single day. The Bible says to sacrifice our flesh daily and twice if you're in the Dallas traffic or Houston traffic. I forgot where that is uh, scripturally, but I promise you it's probably in there, maybe. But listen, I lose my Jesus real quick in traffic. I'm praying, I'm praying over it. I'm overcoming things, okay? We're not perfect. But, We must choose Jesus every single day, and the Bible tells us to sacrifice our flesh daily. It sounds funny, and it is childish. We've all heard it, but I promise you, you, myself, and this world would be in a much better state if we would ask ourselves in every situation, not in some situations, but every situation, you ready? You ready for this another revelation, Holy Spirit, divine knowledge drop? You ready? Everybody reach up. Everybody reach up. I need everybody. Participation is key. Everybody reach up, grab it, pull it down. All right, now you have no reason to miss this. You ready? It would be better if we actually truly asked ourselves in every moment of every day of every situation, what would Jesus do? Right? How would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus do in this job opportunity? What would Jesus do in this moment when there's, there's anger or there's strife or whatever it may be? What would Jesus do when there's anxiety approaching him in my life? What would Jesus do when I need to make a big financial decision? What would Jesus do? If we would get back to the basics, our life would be completely transformed, right? It is super simple, so easy, but we never think about it. What would Jesus do? Everybody turn to your neighbor, say, what would Jesus do? And here's the deal. When you ask, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. When you ask, God is going to give you an answer. If you begin to ask, what would Jesus do? Here's the thing. I work with teenagers, okay? It drives me absolutely up the wall. Pastor Buck, I need advice on this situation. I pour my heart out. I go to biblical context. I lay scripture out and they're like, oh my God, that is so good. Next day they go with nothing I just said. Y'all got people like that. They'll come to you, get advice and you're like, you pour it out. And like, even sometimes you surprise yourself. You're like, that was God. That was good advice. I need to apply it to my life. And it goes in one ear and out the other ear, right? Listen, don't be those people. When the Holy Spirit points out what is right, do it. And do it eagerly. So, you ready? Prayer does not cancel ignorance. Obedience cancels ignorance. who that's good. Preaching to myself. And here's where it is. In verse number seven, it says, because the carnal mind is an enemy to God, or an enemy, I can't even read. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So, it means that you're in ignorance, you're in disobedience to the things of God. Meaning that you can't walk in obedience when you are living for the world. And in verse number eight it says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God but you everybody say that's me but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if listen that's a little word but it is also a huge word it says if right look hopefully I can read this if right but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if I mean it's conditional if if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he is not his That's a big if. We can proclaim God. We can confess God. But if God is not on the inside, dwelling on the inside, you're not God's. Meaning that you have to be new. Everybody turn to your neighbor, say, are you new? Y'all can go ahead and stand on your feet. This is part two of my closing. (laughs) Ha ha. You see, obedience cancels ignorance. If you've sincerely trusted Christ for your salvation and repented and acknowledged him as Lord and turned away from the darkness, then the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. And you're a blood-bought child of God. Since Jesus is Lord of your life, you need to act like he's Lord of your life. You need to walk like he is Lord of your life. Your morality should line up with the word, your character. Bible says we're made in his image, meaning meaning that you're an image bearer. You're an ambassador for Christ, meaning that you should look like Christ, walk like Christ. And here's the deal. It's not that physical aspect made in his image. He's talking about the fruits of the spirit. That's his image. He's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, selflessness and self-control. That's his image. That's the image you're created in. You're created to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the image of God. So if you're a blood-bought child of God, then you should walk and act as Christ directs. You see, you'll find help in your daily problems and in your praying. And you'll be empowered to serve God and do his will to build his kingdom upon this earth. After all, that's what he's charged us to do. That is the perfect will of God. It's not to be hearers of the word, to be doers of the world. To go in all the world and proclaim the gospel. Amen? So, I want to read this one more time. This is part three of my closing. I want to remind you what Paul Washer said. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want you to hear this. You see, so many people in this country believe that their lives to be changed and born again because we've so reduced the gospel of Jesus Christ that it means now nothing more than a simple decision that will only take five minutes of your time. You see, this is complete foolishness. If that was the case, then the work of the cross is null and void. It's not just five minutes of your time. It's not just something you mutter. It's not just something that you say. The question is not, do you know if you're a sinner? The question is this. Since you've sat under the preaching of the gospel, has God so worked in your heart that the sin you once loved, you now hate? That's part one of my closing, my question. Point number one, if you're in here today I'm not talking about religious tradition. I'm not talking about your childhood. Somebody sprinkled holy water on you. Somebody splashed you in the face with water, whatever it may be. I'm talking if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not a religious tradition, not words that you uttered. I'm talking about a true life changing, a true supernatural changing of the Holy Spirit. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to today, if you don't mind, just raise your hand. Be the best decision you've ever made. Thank you. Second part is this. Maybe you're in here and, and you've been that Christian. You've been that believer. You've been that person. They have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. You're tired of fighting the same old battle. You're tired of living the, the definition of insanity. You're tired of being separated from the working power and the authority of God. And you're saying, preacher, today, this morning, I need to repent. Truly repent and confess my sins. Here's the deal. You don't have to confess them to me. That's between you and God. But if you're in here this morning and say, I need to change some things in my life, I need to rededicate, I need to actually not just talk to talk, but walk to walk, that's you in here this morning, and you say, preacher, that's me. If you don't mind, just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. Hands are going up all over the place. Thank you for being honest. Not honest to me, but honest to yourself. Honest with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But time out. Don't say anything yet. Did you know the Bible tells you that it is better to not make a vow than make a vow and go back on your word? Meaning this. If you're not going to be about it, don't even say it. Just hear what we preach. Let the Lord work on the inside of you. I don't know if you'll ever hear a preacher say that. But the Bible tells us it is better to not make a vow than to make a vow than go back on a word. Again, he doesn't call us to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers, meaning that if you pray this prayer, you are telling God, God, here I am, send me, meaning that you're going to be a doer of the word. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want you to repeat this prayer after me if you're honest and you're truthful with yourself and truthful to God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the work of the cross. Today, I stand here and confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. I know that he died on the cross and he rose three days later. And now, he sits at the right hand, interceding for me. God, today, I thank you for creating in me a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, and a new creation all together. Let all the old be put aside. Let the dead remain dead. I am now a blood-bought Christian. I know my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, help me go forward these next few t- uh, times of my life to proclaim the gospel in my home, in my family, in my work, and everywhere you send me. God, here I am. Send me. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. 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 <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming here to Hill Country Cowboy Church and worshiping God's name. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for laughing at probably my unfunny jokes or funny jokes. It makes me feel better. But thank you for hearing me out today. And I do pray for y'all each and every day. And I pray that this word doesn't go in one ear and out the other ear, but it resonates in your heart and that you're a new creation. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking pretty new this morning. Guys, I love you. You have a blessed day. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next time.